0: Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. Stick around until the end of this podcast for a preview of a recent episode exploring the history of investors holding businesses accountable and the dawn of the ESG, or Environmental Social Governance, movement. Produced by the iLab at
1: WBUR, Boston. Can you hear my bag? <laughs>
2: Quite loudly, yes.
1: All right, welcome to Endless Thread Snack Time, where we kick back, freaking snack, and tell each other fun stories we find on Reddit in between our regular hardcore to the core ET episodes. Amory, I got a little snack for you. You do? Yeah.
2: Okay, All I'm right. ready.
1: Are you a metal head? No. No. <laughs> Um, Well, this will be interesting then. So I want you to listen to this song and tell me when it came out.
2: 1979.
1: Okay, well, this to me would suggest maybe a slight lack of metal fluency. (laughs) That's Because listening to this song, I mean, this is the thing. You're not entirely wrong, at least according to mysterious posts on the Internet. But most people would listen to this song and say this song came out after 1985. And supposedly this song that we just heard a little bit of came out in 1973. And this is weird and kind of crazy because you and I probably know uh much more from the 1970s kind of proto metal that sounds a lot more like this. That was Black Sabbath, Into the Void. That song came out, I believe, in 1971, maybe? So this is what's weird. I'm, I'm going to read you this comment. And this comes from the RBI, or Reddit Bureau of Investigation, subreddit, okay. community. The comment says, I came across this song a while ago and searched around the internet attempting to find its source. It doesn't come up whenever I use services like Shazam!, And when I look up the name of the band and the supposed name of the demo, it only leads to links to YouTube videos and a last FM page, which includes the following description. One of the first metal bands from the Philippines, I guess the band is called Diablo, formed sometime in the early 1970s and often regarded as forgotten godfathers of the metal genre formed by young occult fanatics Morrison, Uchida, and Eldritch Yokoyama. Hmm. They released one known demo called Huling Sumpa" in 1975, played a few shocking gigs before vanishing into obscurity. Some say uh, that um, one of these people was arrested and sentenced to life in prison in 1981 or 1982 for killing three people and critically wounding eight others at a bar.
2: Oh my God.
1: The last known lineup of this band is Ben Diablo on vocals. Okay. Which <laughs> seemed appropriate mm-hmm. now, once I found this story. Jesus Calan on guitar, Messias guitar, Bang K on bass, and Madalim Nalengit on drums. I can't find any resources on the internet to corroborate this. The music in question is surely not from 1973, unless the band was unbelievably ahead of their time. This is like unsolved. But a lot of users point to some interesting things. First of all, there are a lot of metal bands that kind of make up this mythology about themselves, right? So and so killed a guy, so metal. Yeah. Right? Yep. And there's apparently a few different versions of this story if you dig around online, including the murder part, which suggests maybe it's not true. Um, So maybe it's like a weird kind of marketing campaign or something. Another person points out that it looks like the first mentions of this band on the Internet are from 2012. And that this is right around the same time that this movie about the band Death from Detroit. I don't know if you've ever, ever heard of that band, no. punk band. No. This band, Death, from Detroit, um, had this movie come out about them, and they became more widely known as kind of like a inventing genres of music um, decades before they were actually a thing. Nobody was making music like that in 73. Three black brothers from Detroit, Michigan. And so this makes one commenter think there's a good possibility of someone hearing about um, the Death story or seeing that movie and then trying to recreate it as a hoax with a Filipino metal band, so that's one possibility. Just to play Diablo's advocate, as it were. <laughs> another person on this post, a redditor named Vampire Queen Despair,
2: very appropriate. feels appropriate. Yeah,
1: yeah. Says I wouldn't immediately discount it being real just because it accidentally invented the genre. If it is. 70s Detroit punk band, Death, did that too. So it's not unheard of to be so early to the party that it screws you over. It's not likely, but don't assume that that makes it impossible. And just a second example of this, this Redditor comments of, like, I accidentally invented a genre. The band Cro-Magnon accidentally invented old-school industrial music back in 1969 with apparently a song or a record called Caledonia. Hmm.
2: Much as I would like it to be a very clever marketing scheme, I think it's only in hindsight when you go back and listen to an album. A decade or two later that you say wow this person was really ahead of their time musically
1: yeah that's fair i mean i I, like you want it to be a marketing hoax you don't really want that right you want it to be real
2: yeah i mean i want it to be real but i i am admittedly delighted at the ways people use the internet in ways that i just would never think to do so you know i both i do and i don't
1: okay well, I guess, you know, listeners, let us know what you think. When did that band's music actually come out? And do you believe the possibility that this Filipino band invented metal before metal was metal?
2: Diablo.
1: Diablo.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. A recent episode explores the long tradition of investors influencing companies to do better.
3: If you even go back to the 1600s, the Dutch East Indies companies, you'd have ships that would disappear for three, four or five years at a time. And there were mechanisms that were needed because investors would put money into these operations.
0: Stick around until the end of this podcast for a preview of the episode.
2: A gruesome scandal at the nation's most prestigious university shines a light on a macabre and lucrative world of buying and selling human remains.
3: Human body parts taken by a manager at the Harvard Medical School morgue and then sold to customers online. So my first skull is right there on the top shelf. That's my first and my favorite.
2: I'm reporter Ali Jarmanning, and this story raises some tough questions. How should we treat the dead? And who gets to decide?
3: There should be some
2: Uh, I was homesick yesterday. I was home alone, uh-huh. in fact, which has to do with uh, my story.
1: Is Almost this going to be a Macaulay Culkin story?
2: It is going to be a Macaulay Culkin story. Oh, I
1: love it. Keep <laughs> the change, the you filthy, change. filthy animal.
2: <laughs> so this post actually comes from the stand-up comedy subreddit, which is hilarious because stand-up comedy, as we know, is my nightmare. Um, this was posted by a user who goes by Buttons, Bows, with Zs at the end. Very mm, hip.
1: Buttons, Bows. Yes. Okay. And
2: the post reads, Beginning in 2013, comedians Brett Davis and Sally Burtnick have hosted a monthly alt-comedy showcase titled The Macaulay Calkin Show. Now, Ben, this, um, this show has nothing to do with Macaulay Culkin. Uh, Did the, he show the up? The post says, Last night, this happened. Okay, so this is Macaulay Calkin coming on stage to randomly the Star Trek Next Generation theme song. He comes out in a cloud of smoke. He's like parading around the stage, kind of doing a little catwalk. He's wearing a shirt that says Macaulay Culkin with an arrow pointing up to his head. (laughs) And the audience is going crazy, but also Brett Davis and Sally Burtnick, the the hosts of this comedy showcase are going crazy because they're like, oh my God, it's Macaulay Culkin on our stage at the Macaulay Culkin show. And the audience is just losing their mind. I'm Macaulay Culkin.
1: And welcome to the Macaulay Culkin Show. (laughs) Finally! Yeah!
0: I can't, I can't
1: believe it! Macaulay Culkin's It's epic music.
2: Yeah, the whole whole thing is pretty epic. They've been doing this show since 2013, so that's, you know, six years going strong. This was actually part of what they call uh, the Macaulay Culkin Show's sixth annual summer comedy fest. And it turns out, I was... uh, The big question that I wanted to know is... Did Macaulay Calkin just show up unannounced no, for this? No. No
1: way. No way. He told them.
2: Well, when you see Brett Davis and Sally Burtnick's faces in the video, they look shocked. Like, Brett falls to his knees. He picks up Sally and twirls her around. Everyone is freaking out. Uh, I reached out to Brett Davis. It turns out that they had actually had this in the works for almost a year trying to get McCallie Culkin. So this may have been a surprise to some people in the audience, but it was not a surprise to them, as delighted as they sounded.
1: I like this because they played the long game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they were like, listen, we'll just keep doing it. And eventually it's going to get back to him and maybe he'll show up.
2: Yeah. And this is exactly the type of thing that Macaulay Culkin, for anyone who has been following his work lately, this is so up his alley. It's up his alley to have a show named the Macaulay Culkin show that has nothing to do with Macaulay Culkin, but also like for him to show up here is just perfectly Macaulay Culkin. And I feel like classic
1: (laughs) classic Classic Culkin,
2: classic Culkin. Um, There were some great comments on this post. One Why Not, the Redditor One Why Not, said, And now I'd like to invite you all to my alt-comedy showcase titled, The Bill Gates Gave Me a Billion Dollars Show.
1: (laughs) Just in (laughs) case, Bill,
2: you want to show up and make that happen. Um, Someone else said something that I think is, like, really on point. This is Always Up Dank Trunks, is their username. (laughs) They say, there's a line by a woman in Mad Men in reference to a very rich, very sophisticated, yet very masculine man and his youth, in which she says something to the effect of him behaving like a character in his own novel. This is the only way I can express how I believe Mr. Culkin is acting these days, Um, which I (laughs) agree. He's just, if, if you have not been following him, I did a little bit of digging. He's been in a couple movies recently, a couple TV shows um, those kinds of things, but he also Emory, has a—
1: he's a huge celebrity. You did not I do any digging. I, you no, no, typed no. something I, into Google.
2: Ben, I do, <laughs> was trying to find out what he's done recently, Emory and I stumbled. went to an ancient
1: library no, no, and no. took out, her,
2: okay. took out okay, her magnifying glass. Sir, let's just quiz you. Let's see if you are up on what Macaulay Culkin is up to these days.
1: Definitely not. I haven't even done—I haven't even looked at dirt, let alone done some digging.
2: Are you familiar with Pizza Underground?
1: This sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't know.
2: Okay, well, because you didn't do your Macaulay Culkin research, <laughs> Pizza Underground is the pizza-themed Velvet Underground tribute band,
1: yes. led by
2: Macaulay Culkin, and recorded in his own house. And this I have is not a little a good idea. I have a little sample here of one of the songs that they recorded in a medley. They turned these days into cheese days.
0: I I don't do too much these days. Cheese
2: days. Cheese days. Cheese days. This is why that one redditor just nailed it in saying that like, he's the star of his own movie. He's He picks and chooses his projects so that they are just perfectly Macaulay Culkin. And he he can't be anyone but himself, and I love him. He's got to keep
1: it classic Culkin.
2: Classic Culkin, that's right.
1: All right, also, I want to do a little bit of an update, Amory. Okay. You may remember in our last Snack Dime episode, I told the story of this mysterious sound a camper heard in kind of the middle of New Hampshire. I just want to, like, shout out a couple of the people who responded to us. We got an email from Chelsea. Okay. Chelsea says, Hi there, I just listened to your podcast bit about the noise in Andover. I live in New Hampshire, right on a small dam, and that sounds a lot like the noise of a water level adjustment being made. They have large mechanical parts that squeal and groan and make the worst noises in the middle of the night. Sometimes it's like an elephant blowing a rusty trombone. And by the way, don't Google rusty trombone unless you're not at work. (laughs) I believe there is a dam in Andover that could be the culprit, she says. I'm sure you can contact one of the hundreds of fisheries and water biologists in New Hampshire to verify. Thank you, Chelsea. Chelsea, thank you. I am not yet in touch with a fishery, but I did get in touch with... The city of Andover, the town of Andover, I sent them the sound, and they are super jazzed, and they are trying to search out an answer for us. So we may hear in a future episode from the town of Andover. We also got a message about this weird sound on Reddit. This is from a user named Joshua.
2: Joshua.
1: Joshua. So this person says, "I once the the title of the message is or the subject is." into-the-woods sound theory. I once spent an afternoon diving down the rabbit hole of a phenomenon called the hum, which reminds me a bit of the weird noise in the latest Snack Time episode. And then this person links to um, some, uh, a video of this. I think it's up in Canada. Ultimately, the sound from this video was the noise of freight trains shunting, which is apparently slowing and changing direction. So we responded and we like, wow, this is cool. This could be a whole episode in itself. And Joshua got back and said, I started digging into it again, and some other internet people have called them sky trumpets or Gabriel's trumpet for very Revelation y reasons, which makes sense seeing that if my memory serves me right, I stumbled across this stuff when I was reading about some doomsday cult, as one does. Nice message, Joshua. (laughs) So either it's it's Gabriel's trumpet, or maybe it's someone making an adjustment on a dam, like a water level adjustment with a dam. Or maybe it's some elephants blowing on a rusty trombone.
2: (laughs) I like that theory.
1: Anyway, listeners, please give us all of your theories on that weird heavy metal band and...
2: Macaulay Culkin.
1: Give us all your theories on Culkin.
2: Special thanks to Brett Davis, Sally Burtnick, and Frank Flaherty at the Bell House for letting us use audio from the Macaulay Culkin Show's Summer Comedy Fest. I only wish I had been in the audience to see Macaulay's guest appearance, but I hope to catch the show sometime.
1: Okay, that's it for Snack Time this week. We'll be back next week with a full episode. Also, by the way, we got a message from somebody named Jamie Moody, and Jamie said... Can r slash Stickers Exchange Club get a mention? We are connected to r slash Free Stickers, which just reached over thirty thousand subscribers. Woot! So, if you're into sticker exchanges, head over to Stickers Exchange Club. Check it out, and we'll talk to you next week.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Is Business Broken, a podcast from BU Questrom School of Business. Listen on for a preview of one of the episodes.
3: ESG, or environmental social governance, challenges businesses to think beyond the immediate bottom line. But before ESG, the balance scorecard did something similar. Questrom's Eddie Riedel explains. The big thing that was groundbreaking about the balanced scorecard is really this idea to move beyond thinking about financial statements, which everybody thought about since the 1920s, right? That was kind of the gold standard for how to evaluate a company and its performance. And the Balanced Scorecard's big insight, I think, was to get companies internally to think about, well, what if you don't just focus on financial measures? There are other things that are gonna affect your performance, and maybe they won't affect them today, but they're gonna affect them in the short-term, mid-term, long-term. Building in those other criteria, those other dimensions, and explicitly linking that to your strategy, to how your company's gonna operate, what kind of big decisions it's gonna make, that's really what the big insight of the balanced scorecard was meant to do. And at the time, uh, right now, it doesn't seem particularly revolutionary. It seems kind of obvious. We've been stuck in the ESG movement for a while and thinking about linking these things to corporate strategy seems pretty obvious. At the time, it was a pretty big, whoa, kind of moment.
0: Find the full episode by searching for Is Business Broken wherever you listen to podcasts and learn more about the Mayrotra Institute for Business, Markets, and Society at ibms.bu.edu.